Welcome to Fandom 5. My name is Brandon Ushio. On the show today, we've got Caitlin Booth, who is the editor-in-chief for Bleeding Cool. We talk about her Fandom 5, five fandoms that have positively influenced her life, and we have a really cool discussion about Star Wars, Marvel, Final Fantasy, fan fiction, liking what you like, and all sorts of other really cool things all woven in together. So let's jump into Caitlin's Fandom 5. My Fandom 5 um, would be the Final Fantasy video game series, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Star Wars, Inception, and Dragons. Those Very would be nice. my Fandom 5. Very nice. It's uh, Final Fantasy. That is a genre that just kind of is all over the place of not genre but a, a franchise they have a lot of different aspects and stories that are told there and even games uh what is it that drew you to final fantasy okay so i i, I actually was just in a twitter thread recently where somebody did those pick three images and i the out of the uh, most of the Ladder School Final Fantasy series, I picked 6, 7, and 9 as the three that I would keep. Uh, but I actually, the first game I ever played in the series was Final Fantasy VIII. I was at a sleepover in middle school, and we played, just like a group of us, with one person playing and the rest of us watching, the entire first disc. The original we- twit. Yes. <laughs> when you The original Twitch, when we were all sitting in a room together playing, watching somebody play a video game. Um, we played the entire first disc at that... Uh, sleepover and I remember looking at it and going Final Fantasy I feel like I might have one of those games at home because at the time my dad was working for Acclaim Entertainment and he would just get lots and lots of free games so there were games that we had that I had never even heard of or played that were just kind of lying around our house (laughs) and it turned out to be Final Fantasy 7 and that game just consumed my life the first fan fiction I ever wrote was for Final Fantasy VII, and it was 53,000 words long. This was in grade 8 to 10. Oh I never gosh. I never actually finished it either. but uh, And it was terrible because, of course, it was terrible. But it was like one of the things that made me realize how much I love creative writing. And I just, the whole series for me is just like encapsulates huge, huge parts of my life. Like I said, uh, Final Fantasy VII was the one that got me uh, writing fan fiction and it's the reason I made my first website and why I signed up for fanfiction.net which is a website that I have literally been part of since 2001 and you know Final, Final Fantasy 11 uh, the online one that game was part of my life for years and years I put so much time into that game I made friends that I still have through that game I was part of Endgame Link Shells I was doing the camping and I was doing you know, competing against the bots and all that stuff. And it was, I mean, I can't even tell you how many hours and years of my life I put into my character on Final Fantasy XI. And it's just, I've been thinking about the series a lot because the remake of Final Fantasy VII finally came out. And I've been really wanting to pick it up and actually use my PS4 for once and play it because, like I said, that game just, it means a lot to me. And it's always, always meant a lot to me. Now, do you think that their remakes are just a grab at nostalgia cash? Or is it like, because some, some franchises now have fans who have grown up to become in the industry and said, no, we need to redo this because mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. 
Uh, from your perspective, are they trying to take your money or are they just trying to, or are they trying to take your money by giving you what you actually want? Uh, I think the answer is yes. <laughs> I don't think it's a, bi- <laughs> there, there isn't a binary answer here. I mean, first and foremost, it is a business and a business wants to make money. And one of the first ways that Square Enix promoted the PS3 was showing the opening screen, the opening um, uh, video to Final Fantasy VII done in PS3 graphics, and everyone just kind of lost their minds because Final Fantasy VII in particular was one of the first was the first 3D Final Fantasy, and it's like the graphics are kind of a mess. <laughs> there's the block hands, and there's no mouths on anybody, and it's just it's it's just kind of funny and. So, yeah, I mean, it's always going to be a grab bag for nostalgia because, of course, it is. But at the same time, it sounds like, at least from what I've heard about this remake, they changed a lot as well and really tried. They didn't just remake the game with new graphics. They they are modernizing the, the battle system. They abandoned the turn-based battle system. And so... Oh, wow. Yeah, that's... I mean, like I said, I haven't played it yet, but it's more of an active battle system now, so it's not turn-based, which is interesting. And... So, I mean, like I said, when it comes to nostalgia and people grabbing for your nostalgia, at the end of the day, video games, movies, TV shows, all of this stuff are businesses trying to make money. And there is money in nostalgia. So, yes, they're grabbing for your nostalgia. But it also at least seems to me that Square has been a lot of work into making this a new experience, even for people who have already played the game, which I actually respect the hell out of yeah no definitely if you if you can give some reference to not reference but reverence to the source material uh, the fans give a lot of credit to that Mm -hmm. yeah um why do why is it that you think that they keep going back to seven i mean they've got one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven fifteen bajillion (laughs) that you can go towards um, the reason why they keep coming back to seven, I think, is because it was the first Final Fantasy for an entire group of people. I mean, it was the first one on the PlayStation One, which was just kind of a next game, next generation system that really was kind of brought gaming to the forefront. The series was always popular. One through six did very well on the Nintendo consoles, but seven was the one that not only hit on a new console. With a new generation, it was also the first time the internet was ever involved. You know, that was in, God, 1997, I think is when the first, when the game came out, I want to say. Late 90s. So the internet was just really starting to get going. 7 was the first one on the PlayStation 1. It was the first Final Fantasy for a whole new, a whole new generation of people. And it also was the first one where the internet was really a thing. So there was a way for the fandom to connect and, you know, make websites that could, that link to each other and, you know, meet people. Like I said, I have friends to this day that I still have that I met because of Final Fantasy seven and it's various fandoms and several of them that I have met in person because of it. And all over the world, I actually have three friends that I know through, um, Final Fantasy VII fandom that live in London, in the London, England area. So I think the timing of it plays a lot into how loud and how vocal the fandom is, because, like I said, it was the first one that really came out when the internet was involved. Right, and I remember it being a very niche thing. My my younger brother was very much into the Final Fantasy games, and he always tried to get me 
to get on there. But it's exactly what you said. It came out at just the right time where the internet was there. I remember he modded our, well, not ours, his PlayStation 1 so that he could play the Japanese version of games and things like mm-hmm. that. And I think Final, a lot of JRPGs, but I, I'm sure Final Fantasy had a thing with that. And I want to say it was Final Fantasy 8. This is what I was trying to Google, but I can't remember for sure. Uh, that had a card game in it because he was like, you're going to mm-hmm. love this game. You need to play this game. Mm-hmm. And so he sat me down and I got into the first tavern with this card game. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, and I spent the next like 20 hours just playing the card game. He's like, no, there's a whole world out there. I'm like, but I'm winning at this game. <laughs> so there was a game inside of a game and it drove him nuts that I latched onto that. But Yep. Yep. That was Final Fantasy yeah. VIII. I remember that card game. I never got into it, but to each his own. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how to play your games. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love it. So with Final Fantasy, what do you think about if they, which Final Fantasy would you like to see them turn into a movie? None of them. Uh, None of them. No. um, They've tried this before. Uh, They did a movie back in the early 2000s, I believe it was what it was called. It was called Final Fantasy Spirits Within. It had used next generation uh, uh, special effects to make CGI people. And it was pretty and kind of a little uncanny valley at the time. And the thing is, and this is just something that's always going to be a problem for video games, is taking the interactive part of that story and removing it. And for me, I, I always enjoyed the ex- exploration of the Final Fantasy games, how once you have access to the open world, you can go anywhere you want. And, you know, certain characters are only, you know, you have to go and look for them. They won't always come to you. And one of the things I don't like about the latter entries in the series, especially 13 in particular, was that it was very linear. And I feel like removing the interactive part of the series is just a recipe for disaster. Could they probably do it? Yes, probably. But it's also, I don't know which one they would want to adapt. I don't know which one would be the right one to adapt. And and I, I guess seven would be the obvious choice, but with how realistic and beautiful this remake is, I'm not sure there's really a point. And... Well, and I'll tell you, uh, and this leads into your next fandom here. I think Seven, based on what you're saying here and the remakes for that and the massive fan base that it has, Seven is probably the worst one for them to remake. Oh, yeah. Because I think that when you remake something that a group of people hold dear, there is absolutely no winning. No. Absolutely no, no winning. And honestly, uh, there was. And the, I'm surprised the feedback for the remake has been as positive as it has been because I thought – for sure the fandom was going to take that remake, spit it out, and never want to play another Final Fantasy again. (laughs) But the fact that I'm seeing generally pretty positive feedback from, at least from people I know within my circle, though I do try to curate my social media feeds to have mostly positive people, uh, it seems like it's been more or less well-received, which is honestly nothing short of a miracle. Right. And so I, I've, I've seen those same things as well. But like you, I try to find the people who like things. Um, the, the, the first time that I realized that this was that that was a bad business decision, because you would think, oh, Batman, that's a billion dollar idea. Let's just throw a bat suit on it and you're going to print money. Well, mm-hmm. DC showed us that wasn't true. However, yeah. Marvel, 
they're taking C-list characters and sometimes D and Z-list characters. <laughs> I mean, the Guardians of the Galaxy, nobody knew who they yep. were before yep, the movies. Much. And they came out and they smashed it. And mm-hmm. then you take beloved brands like Batman and Superman and people just, they just don't like it. And it's like, how do you take a brand that everybody loves and have everyone hate it? And it's, oh, it's because everybody loves it for a different reason. Yeah. But if nobody knows this the property i saw in my opinion final fantasy they probably should do one of the original nes uh versions if i had to pick had barely a bit of a story and they could mess with if i had to pick one of the early snes ones it would either be four or six six would probably do well because they've got kafka and he's one of the best villains ever and also scary clowns always sell well but four also has my is probably my favorite of the entire series because it's got bamf Sissel Harvey, and I just love him. He's one of my favorite characters ever. <laughs> so, well, that name right there. How can you not? Yeah, love him? Sissel Harvey, and he's a Dark Knight who eventually becomes a Paladin. Come on, he's the best. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Let's jump into your next fandom. Let's yep. talk. Let's talk about Marvel. Okay, um, Marvel. I remember seeing the first Iron Man because I'm one of those fans that didn't read comics until the MCU happened. Um, uh, I went to see Iron Man at the Dollar Theater that used to exist over in Sugar House. And I remember I, we didn't even stay through the credits because we didn't know we were supposed to stay through the credits. But somehow, somewhere between 2008 and 2010, so between Iron Man coming out and Iron Man 2 coming out, I just got sucked into this world. And by the time Iron Man 2 came out, it was like a switch had flipped in my head and all of a sudden... I was loving these movies, and I I remember I saw the first Avengers movie in a packed theater for a midnight screening, and how it took me three different screenings in the Avengers to hear Hulk saying puny god, because everybody was always screaming when that happened <laughs> during that scene, and I missed it for so long because it was just too loud, and... You know, I, I worked very, I, I worked with my, I went to visit my parents a bunch of times. Um, they moved to Florida in 2015. And the first time I went to go visit them, I was like, hey, we should watch this series on Netflix. It's called Daredevil. And, I, and my parents were like, oh, we don't know if that sounds interesting. They had been watching the Marvel movies, but they weren't interested in any of the other stuff. And I was like, let's just get a bunch of vodka and watch Daredevil. And we marathoned the entire first season of Daredevil <laughs> with my parents and drank a punch of vodka. <laughs> and I've over the years, <laughs> I have like fully converted them to being like Marvel fans. And, you know, my mom once sent me a picture of her growing a new avocado plant out of a seed. And she sent me a picture and it said and she said, look, it's baby Groot. <laughs> and I was like, holy crap. <laughs> My dad was so angry that the wait for Daredevil season three was so long because he loves Daredevil and that's his favorite character in the Marvel universe now. And it's just like, it was so much fun for me to not only start watching these movies, but also they were the reason I started reading comic books. You know, during our first Salt Lake Comic Con back in 2014, I went up to a comic table and I said, here are the characters I like will you give me some trades for them? And that was how I got the Kelly Sue DeConnick version of Captain Marvel, which made me fall in love with Carol Danvers. So good. The um, Matt Fraction version of Hawkeye, first trade for him. And then the first trade of the, uh, I believe it was Brian Michael Bendis, who was writing the Guardians of the Galaxy at the time. That was really kind of turning that. That sounds right. 
And um, so that was the reason why I started reading comic books. And so I've just really have been loving how Marvel has been approaching all of their movies with just this unbridled joy and just everything that they do. It's just like everything that they seem to do, everyone involved seems to just have this passion, even if it's a character they've never heard of before they got their script. And I feel like that's something that doesn't come across as much in, say, the DC universe, with the exception of Gal Gadot. Um, she is the exception that proves the rule. She's the one who is only one who seems to get any joy out of those movies. And, um, so it was, it was, the Marvel Cinematic Universe was the reason why I started reading comic books. It was one of the reasons I really got into movies and started looking into, you know, how they're made and learning about what production schedules mean. And it was just kind of a really important treadstone that kind of really got me back into a section of fandom that I hadn't really been part of for a number of years. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I love, I love the Marvel movies. <laughs> so if you were to, and I, I don't know that this is possible nowadays, cause I'm sure everybody's seen at least one of them nowadays, but if you were to invite somebody to watch something from the MCU for the first time, what would you say you need to watch this one? If nothing else, you need to watch this movie. Well, I want to say my first instinct is to say Captain America Winter Soldier, because in my opinion, that is the best Marvel movie. But in terms of approachability and something that anybody can just watch, I would say either the first Avengers movie, because they lay it all out very obvious, or probably the first Iron Man. I don't think that movie holds up as well as it did. It's still very good. Don't get me wrong. But, um, it is a product of its time, but it's also, it started this for a reason, and there was a reason why it got the ball rolling. So I, I would say probably either Iron Man or uh, the first Avengers movie. Okay. All right. I, I like that. Um, I think going off of what you said with the Winter Soldier, I think the Winter Soldier was the first time that I realized, oh, these movies are real movies. They're not mm -hmm. just because I grew up with with X-Men and things like that. But when Robert Redford is in there mm -hmm. playing in a spy thriller, it's like, oh, this is a serious movie. Yeah. Huh, that Captain America Winter Soldier is probably, my, like I said, it is my favorite Marvel movie. I think it's pretty much a perfect movie. But I also fell head over heels in love with Bucky Barnes the minute I started reading any of his books. <laughs> He's one of my favorite Marvel characters, and just, like, Sebastian Stan plays him so beautifully, and Chris Evans just embodies Steve Rogers to such an amazing degree. I love what they did with Natasha in that movie, because Natasha's also one of my favorite characters. And so just that, that whole movie is just perfect. Like, it is every time I have to update my rankings for the Marvel movies nothing has ever come close to upsetting uh, Winter Soldier from my top spot. Now, like, like, my top five fluctuates pretty regularly, but my top spot to Winter Soldier pretty much never moves. I just, I love that movie. I think it's perfect. Nice. Um, I do I do know that uh, with that movie, uh, there were a lot of people, that was kind of the breaking point for people where they were like, okay, this is awesome. Let's see what comes next. And they were... I'll, I'll say a little disappointed because it's hard to follow that up. Mm. It is hard to follow that up. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that, and phase two of the Marvel universe is kind of hit or miss because as much as I loved Iron Man three, and I actually think it's the strongest of the Iron Man movies, 
Uh, it was very mixed as far as fan reaction, and I think Thor The Dark World is one of the worst of the Marvel movies. But <laughs> Winter Soldier came, and then immediately after Winter Soldier was the first Guardians of the Galaxy, and that was when I knew that Marvel still had found its footing that the fact that they took Guardians and they made Guardians into a viable franchise that people loved. I mean, like... Of talking raccoon and a tree. I know, like, I couldn't believe it. I remember I was kind of snarky when they announced Guardians because I was like, really? I'm getting a Guardians movie before I'm getting a solo female heroine? And, like, I'm still a little salty about that. And I will probably forever (laughs) be salty about that. But they, they did such a good job. And I... Marvel seems to really be embracing the fact that they need to let their directors do their own thing. And, you know, they really, they let Taika Waititi go completely insane with Thor Ragnarok. And now it's like they, they are really letting their directors and their creative people really just kind of take the reins of these series and do new and interesting things with them, which is only something that I think Marvel can do now. I mean, like, I mean, we're not getting it now because of, COVID-19 but you know Eternals like can you imagine a world where we were getting an Eternals movie an Eternals movie with Angelina Jolie in it (laughs) right right completely bonkers like my parents asked me to explain the Eternals to them and I was like (laughs) I was like okay we're getting into cosmic Marvel now and it gets really weird like how weird I was like weirder than Guardians (laughs) Like it's, it's <laughs> Guardians kind of cracked the door open there, and now Eternals is just like slamming it open. Yep, yep. So, we're going I mean, cosmic, and I'm like, I can't believe we're going, we're, we're going here. Like, we're getting an Eternals movie, and people are going to be excited about an Eternals movie, and we're getting Shang Chi, and the you know they're embracing the multiverse stuff with the new Doctor Strange. What do you think about uh, uh, oh the new director Sam Raimi? Uh, directing not, Doctor uh, Strange too. Not a hundred percent confirmed by Marvel yet, for the record. Uh, I've been checking the sources. Uh, I think he's perfect, especially if they're going to continue to go in a more horror movie direction. If there was anybody who could take uh, Doctor Strange and go dark and go horror with him, it would be a guy who managed to make a movie like um, God. What's it called? It's not From Hell. It's like Go to Hell or something like that. I can't remember what it's called. It was an old horror movie of his from the early 2000s, which was excellent and also terrifying, but also kind of funny and slapstick. I mean, he this is the guy who did the original Evil Dead. Like, he knows how to walk that line between being funny and scaring the crap out of you, and there's nobody I can think of who's better to do something like that for Marvel than Sam Raimi. Like, I hope he does end up doing it. I, I very much do. Oh, Drag See, Me to I Hell. Think I it's, don't know what it's called. Right, yeah. That's what the movie's called. Yeah. Watch Drag Me to Hell. It's fantastic. See, I, th- <laughs> I think a lot of the naysayers that are out there saying, I don't know about this, are only the people, because a lot of the people who are hearing about this now are in such a superhero bubble. Like, in terms of cinema, that's all they really look at. Mm-hmm. And so they think the Spider-Man movies, and they mm-hmm. think about Sony's uh, interaction with Spider-Man 3 and they're like, I don't know about that guy and then maybe they think about the TV shows that they watched as a kid like Xena Warrior Princess and mm-hmm. uh, Cleopatra 2525 and Hercules yeah and so I, I think they're like I don't know that's not really a Doctor Strange thing but it's like I think he's got uh, his filmography gives you such a 
a variance on what he can do. Oh, and I really think that it all goes to what Doctor Strange, because Doctor Strange is kind of campy and weird and funny and crazy like those old TV shows. Yeah. But the magic stuff can get kind of horrific like Drag Me to Hell. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think he's got the, I think he's got the chops to do it. I mean, if, a, if it happens, he's a fascinating choice. He's a fascinating, fascinating choice. And Marvel's got the money to throw around to bring in people like him now. And I'm okay with it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Very nice. I, I figured with your background in film, you would probably be able to be okay with that choice and not and know him for more than Spider-Man. I mean, it's so. I'm not going to ever completely disparage any actor or any director from taking on a role. I mean, it's just you have to see what the person is willing to do, and even then, it's not just. The director it's also script writer and the actor and the cinematography and the music and you know movies are the cast of thousands and there are so many hands in the pot that it takes a lot somebody has to be extremely miscast or misused for one person to bring down an entire production like for example i am not a huge fan of the aquaman movies i don't like um jason momoa at all for me he has like negative screen presence almost like for me he just sucks all of the charisma out of the room which is fascinating considering he's like this big bombastic personality but even then you know for me you know uh patrick wilson and willem dafoe and even amber heard just really kind of and james wan's direction were able to hold up jason in a way that i still thought the movie was okay even if i wasn't in love with it so i will never actually say this person is wrong for this before I see what they have on screen because you never know what somebody is capable of doing. The Russo brothers, for example, before they did Captain America Winter Soldier, they did TV and community. Like it, it's, you have to give these, you have to give the creatives and the people in charge of movies a chance to prove themselves before jumping all over and saying that they're completely wrong for it. Well, and that goes that goes to exactly what you were saying with Marvel letting the creatives be creative mm -hmm. and do their thing. Absolutely, um, it's the same people who were mad about Heath Ledger being cast as Joker because he's the guy from Ten Things I Hate About You. Yep, a good uh, or, or Michael Keaton being cast as Batman because of yep. because of Mr. Mom. Mm -hmm. So I mean, it's it's uh, and to go to an example. Uh, so I think Aquaman could have been better if DC would have let James Wan do his horror stuff in there. I mean, we kind of saw a little bit of it in the trenches, mm -hmm. but it's like Aquaman could have been a seriously scary movie mm -hmm. and I would have been okay with that. Well, the, it took me a long time no, to We have zero, zero business being in the ocean, like zero business being in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> it's scary. It's terrifying. The crap that goes on down there. Like the fact that they didn't get into like deep ocean weirdness in Aquaman will forever make me sad, but I'm hoping that they'll be able to get into that with the trench. But yeah, I love I love James Wan's style, and I thought that movie was fine for me. The thing that brought the production down was Moa, but it also wasn't enough to break the movie. It just made it go from a great movie to just a good one or one that was fine. I will tell you, in terms of charisma, when you meet him in person, I, I'm I'm saying I'm I'm a very happily married man, but. My knees got a little weak oh, when, yeah, I've, when he put his arm around me. Oh, yeah. I've met him in person before. He he walked right by me at CinemaCon, I think, last year, the year before. And he was very bombastic and big and happy. And I've seen him on stage a bunch of times. I would love to interview him or have a beer with him. 
but in terms of on-screen presence, uh, he just doesn't do it for me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. All right, let's jump over into your third fandom, Star Wars. Yay. Now, this is a fandom that appears frequently on the Fandom 5. I so believe it. How did you first get connected to Star Wars? Uh, well, I talked about this in uh, the Nerd Dome podcast, which is where I co-host. Uh, we did a bunch of Star Wars-related uh, episodes talking in the lead-up to, the, ser- to uh, the final movie. And uh, what I will say is that I am one of those Star Wars fans that knew Star Wars, was aware of Star Wars for years. I liked them, I respected them, but I was never super into it until The Force Awakens came out. I'm one of those ones where there's something about The Force Awakens just clicked in my brain, and that was the re- that was the movie that made me go from somebody who enjoys Star Wars to somebody who is actively seeking out, you know, fan fictions on AO3 now, and you know, and just becoming ridiculously obsessed with these movies. And so I'm I'm one of those fans that some other Star Wars fans have a problem with because I I did come into it very late and I did experience some gatekeeping initially but one thing I did also find out about Star Wars fans is that the ones that are accommodating the ones that are loving are much more prevalent than the ones that are still screaming about the last Jedi on Twitter uh I've been to two celebrations now. I went to Celebration Orlando in 2016, and I went to uh, Celebration Chicago last year. And the positivity and the love and the feeling of those co- of those conventions just really solidified for me that um, the Star Wars fandom and Star Wars in general just has a lot of love behind it. And like, for example, today on Twitter at time of recording, which is April 14th, um, I saw in my memories that uh, three years ago today was the day that I uh, waited in the overnight line to get into the Last Jedi panel for uh, Celebration Orlando. And a friend of mine, uh, Tracy, uh, whom I met in the line, I watched her open up a bottle of wine with a shoe (laughs) and fell a little bit (laughs) in love with her. And she's like one of my really good friends now because... uh, and most of the t- aside from one time I waited out for Hall H, uh, every overnight line I've ever been in when for uh, for conventions have been with Star Wars people, and they're just the the good ones are just incredible and loving, and the series in general just has this enormous potential, and I was one of the one of the people who was let down by. The Rise of Skywalker, but it also didn't damper my love of the series. Um, at all like I went to Galaxy's Edge like a week after I spent 24 hours fuming about how much I disliked the Rise of Skywalker and I still (laughs) loved it I still absolutely adored it I love the Mandalorian I am going to dive into a dumpster and be the biggest piece of trash for the Cassian Andor series because Rogue One is my favorite Star Wars movie and yeah I, I the Star Wars fandom has such negative connotations right now and rightfully so there are some people out there who are truly truly ruining it for the rest of us but i've also just been met with a lot of acceptance and love and people who don't judge me for the fact that you know i wasn't obsessed with star wars as a kid and i did come into this with the new disney movies and that's fine so i I feel like i have to defend the star wars fandom because it is kind of a disaster but 
all of the people I know and the people I surround myself with have been endlessly positive and loving and so I absolutely love that you that you brought in right off the bat the loving nature of the Star Wars fandom because like you said it is so online it can be toxic oh yeah absolutely online the the gatekeepers are so much louder than everybody mm-hmm. else and sometimes you just you just have to actually meet the fans mm-hmm. to actually know who where they really sit. I, I won't lie part of the reason I pitched my going to celebration Chicago was that I really wanted to see what celebration Chicago was going to be like after the negative reception to the last Jedi and I was like going in there and like, this is a journalism thing, probably a journalist thing where you go in when you're like, Ooh, is there going to be a fight? I want there to be a fight. Do I want there to be a fight? I want there to be a fight. <laughs> Fights get clicks. Yep. I was like, I want there to be drama. Where's the drama? And I was like, Oh, there's no drama. Everybody's just really happy. And we're all going to give Ahmed best and Kelly Marie Tran standing ovations during their panels because of course we are. And yeah, it's, it, it makes me sad that some, so many vocal minorities are, have really tainted the Star Wars fandom for so many people, but I have been nothing but accepted by the people who have welcomed me into that fandom. And, you know, and I, like I said, I just, I I adore the movies now. I really do. And I love what they did with Mandalorian. I'm, I still have not watched Clone Wars. I promise I will do it eventually. (laughs) You know, I just, I just watched Clone Wars. Uh, It took me a couple months, but like, I didn't watch it when it was originally airing. I watched Rebels and stuff like that, but I just finished Clone Wars, so I, I'm with you. I could not get into Clone Wars at all. I oh, tried that. and everyone kept saying, oh, it's just the first season. It's just the first season. First season's 26 episodes yeah, or something I like know, that. it is. And it's not just the first season. It's like the first two seasons. Yeah. After that, it's really good, but you really have to power through and be like, I'm committed to this. And with so much out there right now, yeah. it's really hard to be like, I'm going to watch two seasons of kids show That's not very to get good. to the really good story. Yeah. I also watch uh, if for... it's coming out. So yeah, I, I feel you there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, this is from Rebels. I was like, how's Maul back? Yep. But, you know, that's, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, if So if you were talking to somebody who just is a new Star Wars fan and has not found those accepting people in the Star Wars community, what would you recommend that they do so that they don't get tainted by the toxic fandomness that is Star Wars Twitter sometimes? Uh, don't be on Twitter. <laughs> Twitter in general. <laughs> That's the answer to so many problems. Twitter in general is a mistake. Um, just seek out people who are still just passionate and and loving about the series regardless of whether or not they think of uh any of the movies in general are any good um i don't know if there's a particular corner i can push someone to but what i will say is that if you love star wars you should try to make it to a celebration because that is where you really get hit with how much people really love this franchise and and love these characters and everything. I'd say go to Celebration Anaheim, but that's probably not happening this year. Yeah. Um, whenever whenever they reschedule the next celebration, maybe for next year, definitely look into going because it's that's where I would say don't be on Twitter and uh or just avoid Star Wars Twitter altogether and go to Celebration and meet people there because 
that those are the true fans. Anybody who's still complaining about Star Wars on Twitter isn't showing up for celebration. And if they are showing up for celebration, they're they're not talking to anybody and they're not spreading their negativity. That's awesome. I now I'll tell you one of my favorite Star Wars experiences that is not related to the actual media, like with the Star Wars fandom, probably has to be the Nerd Dome podcast where you reviewed the Rise of Skywalker, because <laughs> you guys, you, I swear, I, th- I think that's the most that I ever commented on a Facebook post ever. <laughs> uh, that you you mean when me and Charles lost our freaking minds? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you guys you guys didn't enjoy that movie, and I completely understand why you didn't. But I'm like, I'm gonna see if there's the devil's advocate argument to everything that they say because <laughs> i i didn't it, it was okay my my official opinion on the rise of skywalker is that it is not a good movie no but it is a lot of fun mm. and so i not being a film critic i get to sit there and be like i'm just gonna have fun i'm not gonna care if it's a good movie i'm not gonna care if there are things that don't make sense like a dagger that is just what in the world are they doing? Where, where did they even come up with this? Who thought that was a good idea? But uh, and, and so it was just fun. Uh, if if anyone's bored, go look up Nerd Dome Podcast's Star Wars episode. I love all of our on it. I love our our all of our episode lead ups to to go finally seeing the rise of Skywalker. That was that was fun. Yeah, that those that's some really good Star Wars content. Uh, Talking and you broke it down in a really good way to, to be accessible to people. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I w- sometimes I wish I could turn my brain off and enjoy movies, but you know that is the the penance that I take for for, for my frankly. Pretty literally, your job it, is to not do that. Yeah, it's literally my job, and that's why whenever somebody will send me messages and they're like, "Why can't you just enjoy the movie?" I was like, "I wish I did." <laughs> Like this is something that I, I, I said, want to. Uh, I... This was something I said to a lot of people after Rise of Skywalker came out. I was like, "Do you have any idea how much I am hating, dislike, liking a Star Wars movie? Like this sucks. I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> I want to <laughs> like the Star Wars. <laughs> Someone make me like the Star Wars." <laughs> yeah, no. Like honestly, I, I completely get where you're coming from on that, and it, and you do have to take it into consideration. You're a film critic. It's your job mm-hmm. to to find the things that make it not a good movie. I'm a film goer. I get to not have to do that. <laughs> so it is what it is. Uh, or I was a couple months ago until the whole COVID wor- turned the world upside yeah, down. Yeah, really. So, <sighs> all right. Um, anything else you want to talk about Star Wars? I know we basically talked about the fandom, but it, I, is there anything you wanted to make sure we covered? I, it's, uh, I, Rogue One's still my favorite Star Wars movie, and nobody will ever change my mind on that. <laughs> I will fight any. So you're not into Star Wars for the Space Wizards? No, I'm not a Jedi fan. Actually, um, I can see why Jedi very much appeal to the idea for to children. Um, but I find the idiosyncrasies. Of, I don't mean that in a patronizing or bad way either. <laughs> it sounds very patronizing, and I apologize. But I am a film critic, so therefore I am pretentious as hell. But um, <laughs> I can't help it. Uh, I find the idiosyncrasies of like the Alliance and you know doing and how Roar just kind of ruins everybody and how there's people on both sides you know there's good people who are with the empire who just don't have the it in it in them to rebel and people in the alliance who are doing frankly terrible things in the name of a cause that they believe in and all of that stuff just makes me really love 
love Rogue One above all of the other Star Wars movies. And I yeah, Rogue One definitely took all of those aspects and magnified them. And like, if you, in case you missed it in all the other Star Wars movies, here's this stuff right here. And I remember I was talking to Nerd Dome, uh, the co-host Ryan, who's also been on this podcast. Um, he did dislike Rogue One because of how they portrayed the Alliance and that they weren't all good and pure and white and you know and i'm sitting there and i'm like the name war is literally in this series and war is horrible and terrifying and bloody and and there's no no one comes out of it clean even in by the end of you know the original trilogy han luke and leia have so much blood on their hands and any part of star wars i think that explores that kind of stuff is infinitely more interesting to me than anything that has to do with the jedi and again it might be because i got into star wars as an adult instead of as a kid and so the space wizards are cool but i'm much more interested in like all of this other stuff well and i mean i think that goes back to exactly what you said about the space wizards being for kids and even what you were talking about with final fantasy 7 and nostalgia, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, for Star Wars, so much of that for us who started watching it as young children was set in the children's view, the story about good versus evil. And there's a lot of shades of gray and nuance that you can look at it, but it's just not what we were expecting. That said, if you can stop and take a step back and do what I'm saying film critics should do and look at, see, is this a good movie? Heck yeah, it's a Rogue One is a great movie in that aspect. If you're in there because you want a clean story about good versus evil and space wizards, that's a terrible movie. Yeah, yep. but but if you if you're looking at it on the merits of its own film, it's a great movie. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, speaking about great movies, <laughs> this is probably one that you Inception. didn't you didn't expect this one, did you? <laughs> You know, I'm not saying I didn't expect it, but I've had some off the wall fandoms <laughs> here, so this this one's this one's good. This this one was a Leonardo DiCaprio film uh, about a dream with inside a dream yep. with inside a dream, right? Yep. It was a Christopher Nolan so, movie. So, it's Christopher Nolan's best movie. Don't at me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It, it it has one of the best Hans Zimmer soundtracks, and I love the bong. <laughs> the bong makes me happy. So, um, you know, the, the Inception got that well before it became a cliche. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. Inception started that. Um, so, to get into why Inception is part of my fandom history, we'll have to go a bit into my fandom history. Um, In the early 2000s, I was very much into fandom when it came to Final Fantasy, and I was really into manga and anime for a while, and that was pretty much it. And then around 2007, I kind of had a falling out with fandom. I didn't really participate in anything. I didn't really want to write fanfic anymore. I think it's the longest I've ever gone without writing fanfic was between 2007 to 2010. I didn't do any writing, and for some reason... I was part of a celebrity gossip blog called Oh No They Didn't on LiveJournal, which still exists, and everybody (laughs) in it was just obsessed, obsessed with Inception. And the memes, the Inception memes were fantastic, and somehow I got pulled into fandom again because of Inception. The first fanfic I wrote in three plus years was for Inception, and it was like a 60,000 word monster of a fic you don't know how to write anything small do you i really don't like the shortest story on my ao3 account is still 1900 words long like and the longest one right now 
Oh God, yes. Uh, the longest one okay, I just. Okay, so you're better than George R. R. Martin. You're good there. In- incidentally, the fic I just finished was for Game of Thrones, and it was 195,000 <laughs> words long. Um, but yeah, that was the first, and the and the thing I've really loved about the Inception fandom, and it's still to this day one of my favorite fandoms, is that it was a lot of older women, and everybody was just really chill and like nobody there were no ship wars like everybody was like live and let live and do what you like and everything's awesome and oh it was just it was the most anti anti twilight is what this is what i'm hearing it kind of was like it was just it was very laid back and like the thing about inception is that it's very bare bones by design so anybody could come up with any backstories for any of these characters and all of them were equally plausible. I think I wrote three different origin stories for Arthur and Eames by myself, just me. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was, it was just very chill and, and lovely. And like I said, it was one of the, it was the fandom that got me back into writing again. And I've been writing pretty consistently ever since then, actually. And it was the one that, we're going to get into live journal minutiae here. Uh, it is no, they were and they were known. They don't exist that much anymore. They were known as the kink memes, which sound a lot more dirty than they actually were. <laughs> they were basically um, just giant posts on live journal where you could prompt people, where you could just post prompt for stories that you wanted. And if you wanted, you could go in and claim a prompt. And I wrote, I think almost 20 stories, I think in the inception fandom, mostly off of, prompts that came from those kink memes and they were massive they were big stories i loved writing them i i met my first real beta reader through the inception fandom who did amazing work for me we're talking editor level work for me um she helped break me of some of my biggest writing um bad habits that have helped me improve as a writer today and it's just it was the it was the movie and the fandom that got me back into fandom just as I was starting to get into the Marvel stuff as well. So it was the movie and the fandom that got me back into fandom. Nice. Nice. So you're talking a lot about fanfic right now. I am. And I have to ask cuz I you know I I've got a little bit of background with that. Not that I've written some but that my you know my sister would write them all the time mm-hmm. and we've talked to people about fanfic on the fandom podcast before. What is it that that makes you want to write a fanfic versus, say, an original story? There's a bunch of different reasons. Um, one thing I will say about fanfic that I love is the fact that it's completely amateur writing. That I would say 99% of the people who are writing fanfic are not writers. One of my good friends uh, from a couple previous fandoms, she was a med student and she just wrote for fun. Um, but one of the reasons why people love writing fanfic is that you don't have to go through the minutia of world building and creating your own characters, and you're just able to take established things and build them in your own way. You're able to fix a part of canon if you didn't like it. Like For example, if you look at Game of Thrones, a whole bunch of fix-it fix came out after season 8 because people didn't like the way that season 8 ended. And, you know, it was... Um, it's the same reason that somebody would draw fan art versus original art. You know, you're able to add your own personal touches to something that already exists. And, you know, I, I can remember in my early years of fanfic writing, I was very ashamed of it and I would hide it because it had a very bad <laughs> reputation. But now these days I don't even bother to 
to like hide the fact that my real name is on my AO3 account. And, and I say exactly. Wow. That was guts. I don't know very many people who put their real name on there. No, I, I mean, my, my username is still my username, but I say that I'm the, I'm the EIC of bleeding cool. This is who I am. Here's a link to my Twitter account and my real name on it. And it's like, I don't, I'm not ashamed of it anymore because I just, I love writing and I love, and people who write fanfic love writing and they love the thing that they're writing about. And I don't, I cannot think of any conceivable reality where we would make fun or shame people who are doing something creative for fun. I mean, that's just, it baffles me that people make fun of people who write fanfic. It's like, you're making fun of somebody for doing something creative. Like, why would you ever do that? And it's become one of my late in life passions to kind of get rid of that stigma um, that kind of surrounds fanfic and really kind of bring it more out into the open and remind people that, you know, hey, there are published writers out there who have huge book deals who started out writing fanfic and people who have met, you know, good friends and, you know, even partners through fanfic communities and they're essential and important parts of a fandom that I don't think we need to be ashamed of anymore. And it's certainly something that I refuse to be ashamed of, ashamed of now as an adult as somebody who's damn near grandpa age when it comes to, to being on the internet and being in fandom. <laughs> when I was a kid. Oh, when I was yeah. a kid, I remember when Anne Rice sent out cease and desist letters to if you were writing about the Vampire Chronicles. <laughs> I remember when a whole bunch of live journals got canceled. I remember when fanfiction.net banned all porn. <sighs> oh, the Great Wars. Oh, they really were. <laughs> know your fandom <laughs> history, kids. <laughs> Right. Uh, okay. So let me ask you this then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I agree with you there. Like you should never shame somebody for doing something that they love mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, just because it's not what you do doesn't mean that it doesn't have value. And mm-hmm. like you said, it's creative. And right now is the world is in isolation. It's these people who who are creative that are saving the day for so many oh, yeah. people out there. Oh yeah. I, so. I, I cannot tell you how thankful I still am to the people whom their stories I'm still reading. I have, I think what one, two, three, four, five different AO3. Um, uh, AO3 is the archive of our own, by the way, uh, uh, different, different ships and different fandoms and different fanfics on my Google browser right now. And I'm in the middle of another story myself and thinking about starting another one. And it's like, like I said, fandom, fanfic in particular has such a negative connotation about it because of stuff like Fifty Shades of Grey and, you know, all of that stuff. But honestly, if you're willing to go and do a little bit of work and use the tagging and filter system that AO3 has mastered... Uh, you can find some incredibly written stories that are hundreds of thousands of words long that people have poured their souls into completely for free out there on the internet for people to read. And it's like, the content is amazing. Like, I think the the longest Game of Thrones fanfic, I believe, is I think a million and a half words long. Might be oh closer gosh. to two. Yep. And there's honestly something out there for everybody. And it's really something that I think people should give a chance and really start to explore because there's no shame in it at all. There shouldn't be any shame in it. It's a beautiful thing that somebody is so passionate about something. They're so passionate about say game of Thrones that they're willing to write over a million words about it because that's what they're passionate (laughs) about. 
All right. So when it comes to fanfic, you wrote Inception fanfic. I did. Did you ever did you ever write anything after the end? Is he dreaming? Uh yes, I did write a couple post uh post Inception fanfics. Uh he was not dreaming. He I uh I had him that he he woke up and he was part of the real world again. In almost all of the fics I wrote, I believe I did that. But that didn't mean it always ended well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's real. Real life doesn't always end. No, well, uh, end well, I, so. I'm I'm a huge fan of like uh, I like to to abuse my characters in my stories. I'm a horrible person. <laughs> I like hurt comfort series. I like a lot of angst. I had to when I was writing my Game of Thrones fanfic. I had to put angst with an eventual happy ending in my tags because my readers were starting to freak out and they're like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "I promise everything's going to be fine at the end." <laughs> We're, we're, we're gonna make it through this we're gonna make it through this yeah we're gonna make it through this eventually <laughs> it's just gonna take 195,000 words <laughs> uh, I, and so i pulled up the in, inception cast there that cast oh, holy cow good, like at right? the time it was not i mean there were a bunch of names on it but you know leonardo dicaprio joseph gordon levitt i think you know i knew joseph gordon levitt from his third rock from the sundays but mm. this really was what put him on the map for me is oh he's really good mm-hmm. yep. so i i love that guy uh, ellen page I, I i'm sure you've watched uh umbrella academy oh i have i love umbrella and, academy and the things that she's done there yep uh tom hardy that was Ken the movie Watanabe. that, in, that uh, inception was the movie that i first saw tom hardy in that was the first time i ever saw him so yeah. he doesn't have a big old mask over his mask over his face so. <laughs> no yeah, no, this is this. It's a, such a good cast, and you know, really you know, it's a Christopher Nolan film because Michael Caine is in it. Of course, so. and and one of the things of that I find unique about Inception, and I've actually been contemplating writing an article about this, is uh, it's because it's so broad and because the characters are so arch, it's probably one of the easiest things to slip another fandom into. Like a fic I wrote, I literally wrote this. I'm not going to be ashamed of it. Uh, I wrote an, an Avengers version of Inception where Steve was the extractor. Natasha was the, I believe she was the forger. So I wrote this like five years ago. So I'm trying to remember Clint was the point man. Uh, Thor was the tourist. Um, let's see who was the, trying to remember who was the designer this was mostly old school event oh tony was the um the architect and loki was the mark and because it's so broad <laughs> i know i'm not going to be ashamed of it <laughs> i wrote it um because it's so broad and the characters are so arch you can take almost any group of characters from any fandom and throw them in inception and it works i've read inception au's for x-men for teen wolf for everything because it's so <laughs> it's so arch and it's so fast it's a it's pretty much like the perfect fandom to build anything around because it's so easy to just kind of throw anybody into the particular roles i love it i love it all right let's jump into your last fandom your fandom of dragons I love dragons. so we're talking pete's dragon now right <laughs> We're talking all dragons. This is when I'm not going to get into anything like deep or anything like that. I just love dragons. <laughs> um, one day I woke up and I looked at my giant Funko collection and I realized that all of the dragon Funkos were awesome. And I decided to start building my own dragon horde. And I just, I have two shelves now. I'm looking at them in my apartment. 
of just all of the Dragon Funkos, and it's led me to accumulate all sorts of dragon stuff. Like, I've got a, a little dragon here that one of my writers gave me, and he owes, he um, he sits here with a D20 dice from D&D. He just sits there, and that's where you stick a little, D &D, a little D20 right underneath his chin, and he holds your D20 for you. I have a dice bag that looks like a dragon that I got from another one of my writers, and he's, yep, the red dragon. It's got a, nice. a comfy little I, I, I swear half of your posts that I see on Facebook are you adding another dragon something to your collection. I'm, I'm not even going to lie. The most money I've spent on any of my dragons in my dragon horde was $100. <laughs> 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 uh, oh, some dragons sleep on money. Others just cost uh, them. For real. Yeah. Um, it is an expensive little hoard, but I absolutely just love it. I think if I was going to pick one thing to collect in terms of collectibles, especially when I was trying to figure out how I was going to start downsizing my Funko collection, it was, I'm glad I picked this because I'm able to walk up to people and tell them that I have a dragon hoard. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, that's the only way that you can actually collect Funkos now. It really because is. Because I remember when they first came out that I thought to myself, hey, they're numbered. I bet you I could get all of these. And at first, it wasn't such a big deal. Mm -hmm. And now it's kind of a big, I mean, they're up in the thousands, I think, now. So Yeah, yep. yeah. it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. There's there's no collecting them all. No. There's... But dragons. Yeah, I was like, and it seemed like it's such, a, it's not a fandom-specific one. I've got, let's see, I'm looking at my dragons now. I've got a bunch of How to Train Your Dragon dragons on there. I've got multiple versions of the dragon from Dragon Ball Z. I've got Deathwing from World of Warcraft, two different versions of him. Uh, we've got two different versions of Maleficent Dragon and Game of Thrones and three different versions of Smaug. And it's just like the thing I love about the dragons of, uh, for Funko, aside from all of them just being very well designed, is that they're not. I'm not limiting myself to one fandom. I used to just I collect whatever I wanted and then I started... You know, when my collection got out of control, I started, okay, well, I'm just going to go with the Marvel stuff. And then I was like, oh, I'm just going to go with the Star Wars stuff. And I was like, never mind, it's all too much. I'm going with the dragons. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, you can tell at Funko when there's a designer that loves something. Yes. Because some of those Funkos are like, really? You're going to charge extra for that? One? Doctor Doom with a white cape versus a green cape? Mm -hmm. All right, I guess. But... Uh, with the dragons the and and others as well but the dragons they there's painstaking love given to each of these i think the best detail to put that you can see put into the dragons are probably the smaugs the uh, particular the regular one and the chase one because if you look you can see his one misplaced scale they painted in that one scale that is used to eventually kill him and i was like i love that attention huh. detail it's great that is awesome. That is awesome. So, all right, Caitlin, where can people find you if they want to follow more of what you do? Uh, you can uh, find me over at Bleeding Cool. I'm not doing a ton of writing these days. I'm mostly copy editing for several different reasons. She's hurting cats. I'm hurting cats right now. I'm always hurting cats, but I love my cats. They're my favorite cats. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Katie's Movies. I promise I'm not a horrendous person to follow on Twitter, I'm, but I do swear a lot, so <laughs> I apologize if that's a thing you don't like. And, uh, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, that's uh, at Sophia Gem, which is usually linked to on my, uh, on my Twitter account quite recently. And if you want to 
find my fanfic stuff, send me a message and I will send you a link to my profile on AO3. I have no shame. <laughs> I don't care anymore. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, with that, I guess all I have to say is until next time, may the fandom be with you. And also with you. Welcome to another Fandom 5 where we talk to people about the things that they like. I am Brandon Ushio, and this episode I have Caitlin Booth, film critic and editor-in-chief for Bleeding Cool, joining me. Thanks for coming on, Caitlin. Thank you for finally having me, Brandon. <laughs> I've only been <laughs> now, like, hey, okay. Brand- hey, Brandon, you should invite me on fandom for like the last how many, you know how many years, and you've never invited me. <laughs> I know, I know. It's because, and I, I said this in a recording that I did just recently, I am terrible about scheduling things, and usually it's when people are like, no, I'm coming on, right? What's wh- When am I coming on? When, like over and over and over again, they're like, oh yeah, I got to do that. And so in uh, in January, it was one of my New Year's resolutions, like I'm going to do interviews, and I'm going to meet with people, and I'm going to break this. And then I thought to myself... I don't know how to do interviews, and so I need to get a couple under my belt before I get somebody who is got all sorts of bona fides like Caitlin. I mean, editor in chief <laughs> for Bleeding Cool. Okay. I, I mean, I mean, it, it's one of those things that is like, okay, all right, I've practiced now. Now I can have Caitlin on. <laughs> well, interviews are easy. Like, really, I, 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 I will devolve a thing that I probably shouldn't professionally say, but I very rarely prep for any phone interviews I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> oh well you know it's I easier really... for some people than others so <laughs> but yes you. Uh, you you messaged me like 20 minutes ago and you're like come talk fandom stuff and i was like yeah. all right I'm well not I, I will anything. tell you literally the earth had to shake me to be all like caitlin come be on the podcast yeah we just had another <laughs> earthquake, had an earthquake. <laughs> yeah, 4.2 not just an earthquake another earthquake i guess it's technically an aftershock so. still but it's been like a month now has yeah, I think they said that aftershocks can go for like the next four to six weeks at the minimum. But I know like Puerto Rico is still having earth- aftershocks from their massive freaking earthquake. Oh, that's insane. That is oh, insane. I don't so. like it. Zero out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I we had the earthquake and I was scrolling through Facebook to make sure it was an earthquake because who checks the USGS anymore? I mean, yeah, I did. Facebook I wasn't checking it either. And I just posted on um, Facebook, goddamn earthquake. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's right. I was supposed to have her on the show. And I, I have no idea what that connected. But I was like, okay, okay, we can do this. So, yep, And I'm pretty much All right, done Caitlin, what day. is your fandom five? Okay, well, you asked me about this 20 minutes ago, so I might regret this. But my fandom five this, would you know, be... I tell everybody this. It's Sorry, it's I'm going to interrupt you just so that you're not stressing about it this is not the fandom five this is just your fandom five for right now it can change tomorrow and we can have you back on again after another earthquake to talk about it (laughs) god no more earthquakes please they stress (laughs) me out i thought my building was collapsing (laughs) okay you've made it this far i've got a favor to ask you help me to achieve the goal that i talked about in that uh blooper not blooper the the raw introduction that I did with Caitlin there in the after scenes and help me to get some interviews done. Help me get some fandom fives. Send me an email to feedback at fandompodcast.com and help me to schedule some more interviews. Let me know that you want your fandom five shared and it doesn't have to be your five favorite fandoms of all time. It can just be five that you like. If you asked me again today, 
I would probably include different fandoms on my Fandom 5 than when Nick and Taylor interviewed me a few weeks ago. So just send me an email to feedback at fandompodcast.com. Until next time, may the fandom be with you. Hey there, my name is Tyler. I'm Mary. I'm Aaron. And I'm Kylie. And we'd like to invite you to join us in the Fortress of Comicitude podcast, where we discuss such topics as... Creator Focus, where we pull a comic creator's name out of a bucket and talk about their history and books they've worked on. We also do what's called the Comic Book Club, where we pick a book, read page by page, and analyze how cool it is. And Was It Really That Bad, where we take an old comic book movie from the past that got horrible reviews and decide if it was truly, really that bad. Plus creator interviews, movie reviews, top five lists, and so much more. So join us in the Fortress of Comictude. This show is part of the Geek Nerd Network. Geek Nerd Network. Find more shows like it at geeknerdnetwork.com. This is Janet.